Let us pray. Lord, may you take the words in my heart, the love in my veins, and the spirit you have poured into me to send your message true and guide us today. Amen. Y'all hear me right? Yes. Good. Good, good, good. <clears throat> so, if it's not immediately obvious, gonna be doing something a bit different today. I'm coming up front and center for y'all. So, Psalm 91 is, as with many, such a poetic bit of scripture and if a bit lengthy, too. So I'm going to break it down for y'all into little bite-sized chunks as we go through it this morning. Verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Here, Most High is in reference to how the Lord may not be overpowered, how there is no threat capable of pulling the wool over the Lord's eyes that would prevent the Lord from being with us during any threat or circumstance. Furthermore, the use of shadow to the peoples this was originally preached, signified safety and protection from the ever-bearing sun. The second verse, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. This is the author's proclamation of faith, of putting their utmost trust in the Lord. Verses 3 through 6 is the author detailing examples of the many threats we face in life, all of which the Lord protects from. Verse 3, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. The snare, the hunter's trap, signifies that the Lord will be there even for the subtlest of threats, not just invasion, plague. Verse 7, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. This is in reference to a plague from the time of David. So widespread was it that it even felled the Egyptian firstborns. However, it would never reach the tents of the Israelites. Verses 11 and 12. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So great is the love's Lord, 
that the Father will send His very angels down to guide us. And as mentioned in Hebrews 1, to act as ministering spirits to each and every one of us who follow in the Lord's footsteps. Next comes the Lord's verses. Verse 14, Because he holds fast in me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. This is the Lord's response and promise to us all. This promise of deliverance through love. Verse 15. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. This is the Lord's promise to always be with us. That we will never be left unrescued in our times of need. And to end the psalm, Verse 16, with long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This long life is the Lord's gift of heaven and eternal life. A fitting end to the psalm to end with our time on earth. Now, before I break into my story for this, y'all need a bit of background on me and my story. So I grew up Christian and in the church. However, through middle school and through high school, social events, sports, attempting to have, you know, some semblance of a social life, I would grow from the church. By the end of high school, I had grown entirely from my faith. I no longer counted myself as a Christian. This would change, however, when I went to college in the Citadel. That first year after the unnamed events of Hell Week, I'd be introduced to Chaplain Aaron Meadows, who through these last years and that first year notably, would become a friend and mentor to me, who would work with me and, despite my attempts, would not let me sulk in the back of the room during services. So comes the end of the first year. This opportunity comes up for a mission trip in Ecuador. Now, the Ecuadorian churches of the UMC New church plants had requested aid in construction of plumbing, schoolhouses, churches, as well as just community and fellowship. And so, despite a faith that I still wasn't 100% sure in, I found myself getting off a plane in Ecuador. Now, Ecuador, first and foremost, is absolutely a beautiful country with some amazing, amazing people. However, it is also rife with many threats that have decided to plague them. One that is hard to miss, if only for sheer size, would be the volcanoes. 
Ecuadorians, whether knowingly or not, built a fair few cities at the base of these volcanoes. So you would walk out of your hostel and there it is. Now they also put these funny little signs that said, warning, volcano may erupt. <laughs> Same reaction for me is obviously they put these at the base of the volcano. If it erupted, don't know how much help they would have been, honestly. So in addition to that, and that was something that you kind of just had to get over because they looked cool at least. Ecuador, however, strife with many diseases and infections, notably ones like malaria, transmitted by mosquitoes and all your fun insects. During my stay in Ecuador, I managed to catch some form of stomach bug. It may or may not have been the fish head that I ate, but that's a story for a different time. Now, as I was laid up in my bed, I found myself praying to the Lord for the first time, truly for myself, unprompted and alone. And I asked the Lord that whatever it was that had laid me up was not one of the many serious and often lethal diseases that we'd read about. Now obviously, I'm still here, so didn't kill me yet. The final and big part of this was, before we left briefly, the Warani tribe had reached out seeking fellowship. Now, as we were on the bus over, it was revealed why, after many, many, many years, the Warani had finally broken their self-imposed isolation. Aaron told us on the bus ride over, after we'd passed into Warani territory, of course, that the last group who'd gone to visit them were beheaded. Now, naturally, this caused some level of concern, but smartly, he did it after the point of no return. We're stuck on the bus anyway. It was here that I came to a big realization, a big step in my return to faith. Because I realized that if this tribe is indeed bent on beheading some more poor visitors, then there was really nothing I could do. Nothing at all. And so once more, I prayed to the Lord. This time, though, I prayed for protection, for security. I took all of my trust and my faith, and I placed it in the Lord, for I knew that I could not do it myself. And thankfully, the Lord heard our prayers and heard my prayer, and we were not beheaded. In fact, they welcomed us with open arms, and despite, or perhaps in spite of their isolation, the Lord's message had found them. And so we found another community of new Christians who sought fellowship. All in all, this trip to Ecuador in my first year had taught me that the Lord does indeed provide that through my faith and my love, 
you will receive this security. Which leads us then into the almost paradoxical part of this psalm, the duality of the promise that on one hand, the Lord promises this protection from all that ails us, and yet, at the same time, the Lord does not promise that we will be spared from all harm. When it comes down to it, it's this concept of being harmed but secure. This point that the Lord will always be with us is so important that it is the very first line of this psalm. That the Lord is so powerful that no threat can best the Father. That no threat will keep the Lord from being with us in our time of need. That while harm may occur, the Lord is always with us. And through the Lord, there is nothing that cannot be done. That through the Lord, regardless of our time on earth and the trials and tribulations that encounter it, that eternal life that the Lord has bested death for us through Jesus and the Lord's sacrifice of his only son, that we will have this security even if we remain harmed. Because above all else, the Lord has promised in return for our faith and our love. Security. Amen.